ready. Welcome to episode 45 of the Go Get Em Agility podcast. My name is Margaret, and I'm your host, along with my daughter, Emma. Hi, Em. Hi. Hi. All right, today's podcast is about teeters. And I'm doing this podcast specifically for my students. So I want to be able to give them a verbal listen to what I teach them in class. And so I'm, and for those students that miss class, I want to be able to send them this video or this podcast along with a video that I did to help support teeter training, uh, their teeter training with their dogs. Okay. 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 <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, one of the things that I have, have struggled very, very, very much with as an instructor is my inability to hand the reins over to my handlers, hand the training over to my handlers on the teeter. And I well, I, I feel like you're justified in that, though, if you're learning the teeter. Um, as a new person, you that's a very dangerous obstacle to learn for the first time. It is. And that's why I've struggled with it. That's why right. I'm, yeah. They're, they're, I don't I, think you're at fault there. No, I don't think I'm at fault either. I just struggled with a way to to think about a way to come up with a way to let sure. them learn how to train the dogs. And here's why I want to let them train their dogs is because dogs very much take pictures of what's going on around them when they're learning. And the way that I have taught it up to this point is I have been at the falling end of the teeter, the exit side of the teeter, working the dogs, teaching them how to slow down, teaching them how to um, put on the brakes and handle the bang. So I teach the teeter from the ground up. We lower the teeter all the way down. We start it in three, three sections. The first one is the bang game. So I teach them the bang game, how to just bang the teeter down with either their front feet or if they're willing right. with their front and their back feet jumping on getting, at the end. Getting used to the shock and the sound. Exactly. So I separate yeah. out. Yeah. So I see the teeter as three things. One, the movement of it. Two, the sound of it. So the bang game does combine those together, but it's a very short bang distance and the, the sound is not quite as loud as when it's uh, up higher at four, four, I don't know, four, three and a half feet. I don't know how high it is. I think I, it's four. Yeah. I'm five foot and it sits right at my chest level. So three and a half, four feet. I think it's three, three and a half feet. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, that doesn't matter. So I teach them the bang game first. And then once I feel that the dog is comfortable, so the handlers are on one side with their dogs, I'm on the other side and building the bang game in. And as the students are rotating back to do the bang game again, um, at, with time and progress, we move backwards down the board. So in the beginning, the teeters only maybe five inches off the end. So I support it on the other side to lower the, the board down, but it's literally only five inches of banging, five inches of movement. So we stay there at five inches and the dogs learn over several sessions how to do the bang game. And then the second session, we do the bang game again and they start to move backwards down the teeter. 
backwards is not the right word. So um, as, you, as you start have, closer to the back of the board. So to the, to the full size of the teeter, correct? So if you're doing the bang game, you're going to have the teeter five inches from the ground, like you said, and your dog is going to put their paws or as much as their bodies they want to on that end of the teeter, on the yellow contact end of the teeter. Um, that is, what's the right word? That is uh, up in the air. Yeah. And then you move backwards. You move backwards towards the beginning of the teeter, correct? Right. It, but yeah, but we don't go backwards, right? So you're, you're going yeah, backwards, but we circle back. Circle. Yeah, back. we're not we're not making your dog physically go backwards on the yeah, teeter. Yeah, or the handler. Yeah. So we circle further and further to the entrance of the teeter. So the yes, dogs are getting up it. on the side for, first at the very end. Then we move them almost to the halfway point. Then we move them to the halfway point beyond the halfway point and finally until they're coming up on the full board and, and moving. And that's you're still five inches from the ground, correct? Correct, correct. Yeah. so five inches. And so I said that the the movement is one aspect that I separate out along with the banging, the sound that it makes, but what gets dogs more than those two things, so that usually most dogs are willing to do that. What gets them is when they start traveling the board and so they're in movement and the board starts to become in movement. So yeah. that is where most dogs start to go, wait, what? They don't know how to travel along a moving board and feel comfortable with it. So I stay there for several repetitions as well um, until finally they're um, running to the end of the board. And so at this point in my normal training, I had the handlers down with the dog, turning them onto the board. And I was at the tip end, at the exit end, helping the dog learn how to adjust to their speed, to their motion and their location staying on the board. So I was a big picture in their teeter training. And what I have found over the years and something that I've really, really struggled with, I mean, it wakes me up sometimes, like how can I move away from this <laughs> is I know that I'm part of that picture all the way until it's full height. And, right. and so I wanted to change that. I wanted to change that. And so I started, um, when I started with Eli, I decided I almost waited to teach the teeter until you were home. Well, that's how we've always done it, hasn't it? Yeah. So you were kind of forced to show your hand um, when I left because I know you and you, you, you can't not train dogs, right? I almost waited until you were home only for the reason that I am used to training it with two people. Right. Right. Until they're a little bit older, a little bit more experienced and then move to one person. But so I was worried about that. And I decided, no, I can train this by myself. And if I'm, if I'm successful, if I, and so I experimented with Eli and if I'm successful with it, then I have more tools and more understanding and more information to help my students train on their own. And yeah. I don't mean that they're training totally on their own. I'm in the classroom with them, but a big chunk of this is now going to be for dogs that are transitioning over to other facilities to train right. other teeters in preparation for trialing. Well, it's called generalization and dogs are 
not particularly the best at it. And generalization is when um, you put things in new places and expect the same outcome. So like if you, mom, if you're sat at the theater, right, for say uh, two months, and then one day you disappear, dogs are going to be like, wait, she's gone. And they they just can't get their little heads around it. And it's really hard um, for them to, to, to get over that hurdle of you not being there. They're bad at generalizing that. Yeah, you're actually you're you're on the edge. So yeah, it's a cousin of it. So generalization is more about location specific. Okay. So- yeah, but when you being in the location be part of they see you as a part of the obstacle, not you as your own person. Okay, so that's called picture training. So dogs, no. <laughs> dogs, take, well, not picture training. It's called, um, that's more about how they take visualization of what everything looks like when they're learning something. And okay. so, yes, I'm there part of the teeter picture, but in order to classify it as generalization, I would need to go to all the different locations with them. Okay, so you're on the right track. Right. So generalization is location only. For the most part. They're related. <laughs> They're related. Um, but, but I do teach them. I mean, the dogs do learn that I eventually do disappear. Yeah. So no, no, no. I'm not, Yeah. 100%. I'm just saying that in the beginning, they rely on you a ton. Very much so. Yes. Very much so. All right. So I really want to get out of the picture. Not only at the very beginning of the training. So this will be new for me. And I told my students yesterday, I said, you're my very first class where I'm going to teach you how to teach your dog to teeter. And it scares me. And the reason that it scares me is because a handler mistake, the dog is the one that pays the price for the handler right. mistake. Yeah. Right? And so just in the in the so I had three days of classes. I did this in every single class. My my new way of teaching a teeter, I did it in every single class. I what all but two classes are educated on the teeter. So they've all been doing the teeter for a number of um, um, weeks, if not months, if not years. Um, and out of all of my classes, I had three fly offs. And I had three fly-offs because of handler error. Every single one was in handler. Yeah, right. And that's and and well, and that's sorry. Continue. (laughs) That's why I'm scared to transfer the the responsibility over to the handler. Right. Yeah. So, but I, I the the first two fly-offs were on my first day of teaching, and the last fly-off was on my third day of teaching. Zero fly-offs in day two, which means I'm getting better at instructing. So apologies to the first two dogs. I mean, they were fine because they'd been on the teeter multiple times. So they they were fine. Um, But all right. So my goal is to get me out of the picture as soon as possible in my new way of teaching the teeter. How do you teach it? (laughs) That's the big question. So I'm still going to work on the motion, the sound, and the dog's motion with the teeter motion throughout my training. So those are the three main things that I pay attention to. And the dog's motion with the teeter motion is the hardest for the dog, in my opinion, especially if they're not coming from sport homes. So Mm -hmm. a good chunk of my dogs are coming from novice A homes. Yeah, pet homes, which is fine. Yeah, novice A dogs, novice A handlers. So I am teaching 
people that have very, very under, little understanding of how dogs um, behave under certain handler uh, handling <laughs> direction. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. So here we go. Okay. There are two things that scare the dogs when training the teeter and then when running the teeter in either competition or practice. The very first one, and this is for dogs that are already trained, this first reason. So the dog already is trained on the teeter. They're comfortable on the teeter, um, but something happens. They do a fly off or they um, there's a miscommunication with the handler. So the very first reason is the dog didn't know it was the teeter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and they don't know either because the handler never told them handler failed to give the cue or the cue has not been established and connected to the teeter. So the, the amount of times that they've repeated it to their dog, it still has not made a mental connection. Teeter equals movement, slow down or stop the and uh, and the last thing is they just didn't hear it right so dogs do not want to do fly-offs they don't no, they don't they no, don't it's scary it, it well i don't know how scary it is it feels awkward i'm well, sure and yeah so i think of the teeter as basically jumping off the back of a couch right and so yeah. when the dog does a fly-off yes it surprises them yes they probably feel awkward but in general except for our very small dogs, it literally is like jumping off the bed, jumping off of a couch. It's just, they're doing it surprised, right? Like, yeah. oh, I didn't realize that wasn't the dog walk. So it's a misunderstanding of their verbal between the dog walk and the teeter, or the word just has not been connected to the teeter. Or, or it, maybe it has been connected to the teeter and they're doing a great job in general, but then one time they didn't hear it, they didn't register it in time, or they, they heard it, but they had too much speed coming in. So and that leads me to my second reason that dogs either fly off or freak out on the teeter, and that is speed. So speed coming into the teeter catches them off guard. They weren't ready for the teeter under the amount of speed that they had. So even if they know the teeter, they may not have been trained how to control their speed. Especially young dogs. Especially um, young dogs. Yeah. And especially impulsive young dogs. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so what's my game plan? Here's my game plan. Um, if speed is one of the things that scares them, either scares them and they do stop or scares them and they do a fly off, then we're going to take. Can you, can you wait, uh, can you tell us exactly what a fly off is? Oh yeah. So a fly off is when the dog fails to stop on the teeter and they jump off. Yeah. So they're the board never hits the ground. Yeah. They're flying off the end of the teeter. Yeah. Just thought I'd clarify that just in case. No, it's a great, great, great point. So we don't want them to fly off. It's a bad thing to have happen. Um, and I sort of feel like in the world of teeters, just like in the world of motorcycles, you have those that have fallen and those that will fall on motorcycles. Yeah. And you have those that will have flown off the teeter and those that will fly off the teeter. 
So I think a good chunk of dogs in their lifetime will eventually fly off the teeter just through poor judgment, mistake, mistake, handler fails to give the correct cue um, or hasn't properly trained motion into the teeter. So I think fly-offs do happen for a good chunk of dogs somewhere in their, Absolutely. somewhere in their training. I think that we want to treat it like uh, uh, the back of the couch, but your reaction, your reaction. So when they do do it, your reaction should be very much like a clap of thunder just hit, right? So you, you're just like, you're shocked, but you don't say anything freaky to the dog. Do not get mad at them. That is the last thing. Absolutely. That do will not help. get mad at them. Dogs, oh my goodness. Dogs do not, do not fly off the teeter on purpose. They no. don't. They don't. Dogs don't make mistakes on purpose ever. Right. And so getting mad at them or freaking out that you're scared for them is probably the worst thing that you can do. So the, I, I tell my students, just talk to them normally, go ahead and give them a cookie to buffer the mistake that just happened. Cause this is not a willing mistake. This is, we're not working on correct performance at that point. Yes, it was the incorrect performance, but that's not how we train it. So we need to buffer their feelings with food if they're willing, get them uh, just moving away from the teeter and try and keep our emotions in check, regardless of how ugly it looked, regardless if they're injured because of it. Very rare that a dog injures themselves on a fly off. It, it can happen, yeah. of course, but it's pretty rare that they actually break anything. Yeah. Um, all right, so, okay, so if we want to take speed out of it, so we're taking speed out because speed is one of the first things that scares them, then we're going to put them, I like to put them uh, four or five feet off the end of the board, three to five feet off the end of the board in a sit-stay. You have to have a sit-stay for this to work. You're going to put them in a sit-stay and then walk to the middle part of the yellow end contact. So you're not at the very end of the teeter board, but you're in within the yellow contact zone. And we're going to teach them how to build in speed from that position. So they're on a sit stay at the end of the teeter board. You're at the exit side of the teeter board. And what's going to happen at that point is the location that I just put my handler, that's going to generate speed up. So the dog wants to get in line with the handler. So we do have that problem of speed coming in. We're going to counterbalance that speed by not moving. Okay, so we're going to stay at the end of the board and not move, all right? Then what I want my handlers to do is to put their, their hand closest to the board. So they're looking back over their shoulder at their dog. And I want them to put their hand closest to the teeter board, hovering underneath the teeter board. So it's just hovering. And the first thing that this hand is gonna do, the first thing that we're gonna do is if the dog does decide to do a fly off, we're gonna prevent the board from crashing down behind the dog. So when a fly off happens, the, they usually, dogs usually push down very hard to jump off. 
And when they're pushing down, it's very much like a, um, a diving board. So they push down onto the diving board. Well, diving boards spring back up, right? Teeters don't. They slam to the ground and they slam very hard for some bigger dogs. And what's happening is the dog is slamming down and they're jumping only a foot because there's not a lot of movement or not a lot of uh, grip on the board because the teeter's moving. So they're, they're pushing down and they're slamming it to the ground, literally a foot from where they're about to land. And so the slamming of the board scares the dogs. That is what I think scares the dogs more about the teeter than anything else. Is it coming down? The surprise element is definitely a factor, but the slamming of the board behind the dog is what I think freaks dogs out. And I think the sound of that loud board also freaks out the handlers. I think that uh, you have a very good point there because if you watch young dogs that maybe haven't been doing agility for a long time, when they fly off and the sound happens, they, they do have a tendency um, to freak, not freak out, but they, they're like, oh, that happened. And that was a little bit scary and that was a little bit loud. Um, experienced dogs, you might see them fly off and they won't be phased by the bang because they've been banging the teeter all their life pro properly, most likely. But the sound doesn't phase them anymore. They don't even hear it. If you have an experienced dog that does a fly off, they're less likely to be worried about the sound oh, that definitely. the board makes. Yeah, yeah, no. So because so it's it becomes background noise for them when they're when they're older. They right. they don't care for it. Right, and, and keep in mind that I am only talking about training new dogs on the teeter. My whole point of this podcast is to help my dogs and handlers learn how to train the teeter on their own so that they can take that exact same information and go to a new location and train another teeter by themselves and another teeter after that by themselves. They can go into an FEO run at a trial and introduce a competition teeter in a safe manner without scaring their dogs. Because yeah. that first round of eight or so eight to 10 teeters that they are introduced to can change how they feel for the rest of their, their agility career. And yeah. so if we can buffer and get some really positive history, not only positive history in my classroom or, or in the, the comp in, in class practice, but really good positive history in other locations, I want to give my handlers the tools to train new teeters at full height without me. This isn't about experience. Dogs is my point. Okay. So um, so that the hand underneath the teeter board is going to, number one, stop the teeter from following the dog down as the dog jumps off. That's, that's the first thing it's going to do. Then the second thing that happens to dogs is if they do decide to try and break, so they're coming up really hot, coming up really, really hot, and they decide to try and break and, and put the brakes on and come to a halt, the board is starting to move when they're at that point. So they're generally very close to the end of the board or within the last third of the board, and they've all of a sudden made a split-second decision to try and break. They will they will lower their bodies down, and just like a dog trying to uh, attack a ball 
on the run. So they'll slide into the grass. They'll slide into the dirt, right? They're they look like baseball players almost. Well, they're, they're, they're just kicking up a ton of stuff underneath them, right? So they're yeah. grabbing the ground. They're, their claws are grabbing down. Their weight is pushing down. That's how dogs stop. So if you want to see how a dog stops, put them on um, a, a, a dead ball and or or even better food a target plate loaded up with food take them 25 feet away from it and give them permission to run to it video that in slow motion that is your dog slowing down at from extension into collection and we expect them to do that on a 12 inch board that's moving (laughs) when dogs come up the board they are pushing down with their body, with their claws to try and grab the board to break. And what's happening is the board is moving out from underneath them. And so they can't, they, they physically can't grab um, as they're starting to run out of room on the board. And so inexperienced dogs bail. They say, I can't do it. I give up and they jump. Right? And so one, your hand is underneath the board until they learn the mechanics of this. Your hand is underneath the board, ready to stop the board from chasing them if they do decide to jump. But if they do continue to try and break, what your hand is also doing is it's giving them one extra half a second to get board underneath them, to hold on to the, the teeter board grip without the board falling out from under them. So we're not holding the board to feed them up in the air. That is totally different training. That is completely different. That's not what we're working on here. What we're working on is come in with a ton of speed, learn how to break, and I'm going to hold the board for you for a split second to offer you a board that's not moving. Does that make sense? So we're going to prevent the board from falling for a fraction. But if they're correct, if they're correct, don't hold the board up. Correct. If they're if they are breaking, and they are doing the teeter just fine, don't hold the board up. Let it fall. Right. So the finger is literally there for a fraction of a second, or your your. I literally use one or two fingers to hold uh, the board up for a fraction, a fraction of a second, and so we're not stopping the banging down. We've already taught the dog how to handle the movement and the banging. That's not what we're working on. We're helping them with the breaking aspect of coming up onto the board. Does that make sense? Yeah. So but also, you- if this is if this is a problem that is persisting, so if your dog is having trouble breaking on the teeter consistently, that's they don't understand that it's the teeter. Okay, so that's right. So they that that goes back to my first point is they didn't know. Right. But my point is is that like you shouldn't if you're holding up the board all the time you have to go back and look at your oh, no, 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 no. That's not how this works. No, we're not going to hold up the board all the time. We're only going to do it on maybe eight teeters as they're learning. Right. So once. Okay. So you're doing this regardless of this is, their. This is young dog, young handler experience training up into competition. And then we're done. We never do it again. Right. But my question is, is that do you have to make that judgment decision? So your hand is under the board, your dog is coming up the teeter. Are you making that decision 
now? Or are you, so when your dog, do you have to look at your dog and say, you're not going to stop. And now you're thinking, okay, I'm going to leave my hand. Or is you're looking at your dog, your, your dog's like, yep, I'm going to stop. Do you keep your hand there? No. So no. Yeah. That's what I thought. So you have to make that split second okay, decision. So, so that leads me into my next part. Let me just wrap up. So let, let me just wrap up the hand part. So the hand underneath is only to do two things. One, prevent the board from chasing the dog down if they do decide to jump. Or two, hold it for a fraction of a second to allow them to break. And if they choose to jump, then you're still holding the board, preventing it from chasing them. If they do break, you're going to let it go. Okay. So it's going to slam down. You're going to reward as normal and release them off. All right. So how, how do we know? How do we know? This is what happens. Your very, very, very first repetition within any training session until they've hit multiple, multiple, multiple teeters is the very first repetition is the one where they're most likely to make the, the mistake. Okay. That's the one, the very first rep is the one where they're most likely to do a fly off. Okay. And so that's the one that you're going to hold. That's the one that you're going to be prepared for. So very first rep until you get them really well established on a whole bunch of different teeters. I want to take the speed out by putting them three to five feet away from the board. I'm going to hold that very first teeter board in prep for them not understanding that it's the teeter. And then I'm going to let it fall. Now repetition number two is where they show you how they felt about repetition number one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So they're going to show you either fear and so, and dogs show fear in a few different ways. The first thing that fearful dogs do on the teeter is they look side to side for an exit point. How can I get off of this thing without hitting my handler, without hitting the cones, without um, navigating the center, without hitting the centerpiece of the teeter, right? The support uh, piece in the middle. And so they're, and they're making a decision. Should I jump? Should I jump? And so with the handler being at the end of the board, they can be there talking to them saying, teeter, teeter. Yep. This is your teeter. You're okay. And some dogs will decide to jump off anyway. Other dogs will be like, okay, I, I, I understand what we're working on now. And so that's one way they look side to side. The other thing that fearful dogs do is they will claw at the board. So they will claw at it, trying to push it down. Now these dogs are already stopped and they're now not wanting to come further forward and they're clawing at the board. And you can have dogs do that one for years. They're not, yeah. well, and it's... It, but they'll, they can do that for years. And I personally think that that problem is a hundred percent. Well, I can't say a hundred percent is pr most likely associated with speed coming onto the board. Well, and the issue with the speed coming onto the board is if your dog is starting to paw at the teeter, hoping that it'll fall, um, and they're stopped, it's the anticipation of the falling that gets them more than anything else. It's, it's the anticipation of knowing the board's going to move, and it's not, and it's freaking them out. No, it's the combination. Yeah, you're right, but it's the combination of the board moving and them moving. So they don't want to go... Right, they, right. They if the board never moved, they'd be fine. Yeah. Well... It's the combo. Maybe. Of them, it's the combo of them moving at the exact same time that the board's moving, so they're okay right. with the board moving, but they don't want to move to the end of it while it's still moving. So they right. get to a point, try and push it down with clawing at the board, 
finally the board falls and now they're willing to travel to the end of it. That's a speed problem. Uh, they, so when they come in and they don't know how to break, how to transition their weight backwards, how to um, put on the brakes quickly, that's a speed problem. And they haven't been taught the mechanics of stopping on a 12 inch plank with speed. And we'll, we'll I'll talk a little bit more about that on how I prep for uh, teaching my dogs how to come down and break on speed. So this is one way, but you can actually do a lot of training prior to this, which all of my dogs have been doing um, since my foundation class. So if they were in my foundation class, they've been doing this since the, my foundation class. Um, but I, I think I'm actually gonna put more, even more emphasis on it to help with uh, teeter struggles, for to teach the dogs the mechanics of how to weight shift how to do things quickly, because sometimes this is a last second decision. And so dogs have to be taught how to change their body mechanics quickly under speed, right? They're coming in with a ton of extension. They have to rock themselves back and learn how to come in straight, balanced, and, and powerful, right? So they, they can yeah. learn behavior. This is not something that happens. And some of my young dogs, they really need almost more of this than other of my young dogs. So um, we'll talk a little bit about some of the stuff that I do to help teach that. All right. Um, so kind of lost where, 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 oh, so repetition number two um, is where they show you feelings. And so I talked about how they look side to side, then they'll claw at the board. Another thing that happens is they will come in, get on the end of the board and then immediately jump off or come to a halt and jump off at that point. That's a fear element. Then the last thing that they'll do is they'll just completely avoid the teeter altogether. And so they'll just run right around it. So let's say that the dog comes in at, at speed. So we're working on speed um, and they come in at speed and they do get on the board, but then immediately bail the board or they stop and then bail the board. That is a speed problem in, in my opinion. And one way that you can figure out if it really is a speed problem is when they come off, just reset them back onto the teeter board. Did they do it immediately without speed? Because if they did go right back onto the board without speed, it's definitely a speed problem, okay? Now, if they completely avoid the board altogether, you can also test to see if that's a speed problem by asking them to do it immediately, you know, within three, five feet. And if they do, you've got a speed problem. And so if your dog refuses to go on to a teeter after two repetitions, so you, you, you've asked them, they refuse, you've asked them again, they refuse again. At that point, go ahead and stop, stop the session, give me a call, send me a text, preferably you're videoing this so you can send me the video as well. And I can see what the dog is doing in relation to the teeter. I can see what you're doing in relation to the teeter. And then we have a, a, a little bit of a history of, of where we can start from. So those are fear factors that dogs show. Looking side to side, climbing at the board, getting on the board, immediately off the board or completely avoiding the board. And there may, may be a couple more, but those are the big ones that I noticed straight away. Um, all right, so how, how do I do this? So the very first rep, I'm, I wanna be prepared 
to hold the board. I want, I want to have my hand floating underneath the board and release the dog. And then if they stop, awesome. I just let the board fall. Reward is normal. If they don't stop, I'm holding the board while they jump off to prevent the board from chasing them down to the ground while they're landing, okay? And then feeding them like nothing happened and trying it again. All right, so I start three to five feet off the end of the board. With the dog being that close to the board and they're in a sit stay, you do not have time to release them with their okay word, their release word, and get the teeter cue out in time. So when they're very, very close to the board, release them with their teeter word. And chances are you'll only get it out twice. Now my, my students are instructed that they are to say the teeter cue uh, enunciated, loud above the ambient noise that's going on around us, but slowly. So it sounds something like this. And I, my preference is until the dog is well-trained, they, they will try and get that teeter word out three times, slowly. So it's teeter, 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 or bang, bang, bang. I have one other student, push, push, push. So it's loud, it's methodical, enunciated, and clear versus teeter, teeter, teeter. So I want it loud. I want the words separated from each other. And the reason why is because when we put them into a rhythmic teeter, 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 or uh, tunnel, 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 that usually indicates add speed. Well, until they're well-trained, we don't want to add speed. When they get better, you can make it faster. But in the beginning, I don't want to add any more speed and I don't want to add any more panic on the handler's part. So handlers get worried about the teeter all the time, as do I, but they get <laughs> almost panicked about saying the teeter and they can see their, their dog is accelerating and so they they almost pick up the speed of their verbal. Teeter, teeter, teeter! And to me, was that too much? You're yelling, Jesus. And that's what that's what they do. Well, that, I know, but I'm like, oh but my people can hear that. <laughs> that is exactly what they do. Should I say that again? Teeter, teeter, teeter. That's what my students do sometimes when they panic. And so I, I don't want them to panic. I want them to learn how to accept their dog's speed and trust that the training is taking place. And as they're teaching their dogs the teeter, they're prepped to have their hand in their location ready to help the dog in the early stages. Again, this is only early stages. Once your dog knows the teeter, you don't have to do this. Um, all right, so very first rep, three to five feet off the board. And then the next rep is maybe eight feet beyond that. So now we're up to about 15, 12 to 15 feet off the end of the board. I, so this is now our second rep. Okay, so we're adding more speed by adding more distance, okay? And on this second rep, I would have my hand hovering 
but the chances of your dog jumping off have dropped considerably with this second. Mm. They may show you and not go on it at all because they're afraid, but the chances of them not stopping has dropped significantly. So with each continuous repetition, they're more and more likely to stay on the board. So you can become more and more loose and your, your location can start to change in relation to the board. Your speed can, uh, uh, but their speed is increasing because we're going to add more distance for them. Um, and this, uh, the fact that they know that the teeter is the obstacle now on the second repetition is uh, just, oh God, what's it called? Um, patterning. Let me yeah. say that again. Um, right. And so the fact, so the second that the dog realizes that it's the teeter, and then you ask for them to do it again, they're doing what's called patterning. And patterning is very, very good. Yeah. Um, very powerful. Very, very powerful. Um, and I'm not saying that you need to pattern all the time, every day, you know, for every single obstacle ever. No, but no, you don't want to do that. No, but it's it's very good for obstacles like the teeter because they can become dangerous. And so, like you said, um, on this, as you continue on with your little repetitions, you can start to become more natural in your handling, and that will be more uh, indicative. I don't know if that's the right word of how you will be in a trial eventually. Yeah, you can start adding in more difficult variables once. So each time that you go to a new teeter and they are successful on rep one and two, then you can up the ante and say, right, I'm going to add in more of my motion. I'm mm -hmm. going to add in more speed with you coming in because yeah. the us at the end of the board is all about teaching them how to handle speed. So we're teaching mechanics of stopping quickly, straight, under control with balance on a 12 inch plank on a move because eventually you want to be away from that board that's right eventually eventually yeah. not now right so okay so rep one we're under the board hand under the board rep two same location hand under the board rep three now they're out so we start we did uh three to five then we go to 10 to 15 then we go outwards of 18 to 20 or even 22. So now we're adding in more speed. The further back the dog gets, the more speed they're bringing into the board. And so we're still at the end of the board teaching them how to play with that speed. And so I would repeat anytime that they start looking side to side, bouncing off, okay, that speed was too much, bring it in. But if they're doing well, take the speed back. And I probably wouldn't go more than 25 feet. I don't think you need to go more than 25 feet. Um, but on each repetition that they're doing well at 25 feet, now I would ask them to do that same thing. But now my location, my start location is at the entrance to the teeter. Okay, so I'm still up there right? I'm not sending my dog to the teeter. I'm still up there to support them, but now I'm also showing some motion to the end of the teeter, okay? So we'll be there, and if we have to catch the board, we can, right? If the dog really shows zero understanding of collecting and, and stopping. Um, what one thing that I wanted to mention that I think is very important, especially young dogs, early dogs, until they're well trained on the mechanics of stopping, 
don't overrun the end of the board. Stay within that yellow zone until they're well-trained. Once they're well-trained, then you can start to teach them, will you stay while I run ahead, right? But that's advanced training. And that is not for young dogs. Um, I mean, you can build it in as they're training, but don't do it on the first rep. Don't do it on the second rep, right? Make sure that your reps are working and then keep advancing the criteria that hold while I do this, hold while I do this, right? Take the board down under control while I move off laterally, move off in front of you, whatever your training um, that you wanna do with your dog, how, however far you wanna take the difficulty of the exit of the teeter. All right, any questions? Um, I do actually have a question. How do you reward your dog? Oh, just normal. How you would okay. But if they come in with, uh, if, if they come in super hot and slam on the brakes and, and control the board down, absolutely, I would jackpot. I would yeah. totally, totally jackpot those, even if you're starting to wean off of rewarding everyone, right? right. I would continue to reward those really smoking hot, fast, controlled, balanced teeter slams, because that's what you want. That is what you want. So teaching them how to break appropriately is um, what we're doing. Okay. I wanted to go on a tangent. Um, so uh, you mentioned that as you do your repetitions, the dog will become more confident in knowing that it is the teeter that they are doing and they will start to anticipate it. And that's great. Um, if you are a new time handler, you have never done this before. You were very scared of your dog crashing into you or flying off or whatever, because the teeter is scary for both dog and handler. You will have the same uh, uh, patterning as your dog will. So your dog will learn that very quickly that it's the teeter and you will learn very quickly what your dog looks like in different stages of the teeter. So um, I think that a, the biggest hurdle that a lot of people are fearful of getting over is what if my dog is worried and I don't know how to help them. And yeah, or I don't know how to visually see it. Right. What if my dog is worried and I don't see it? You will. You will. You live with this animal. You know what they what they are. You know how they act. You will be okay. Yeah. So there are a couple of ways that um you learn how dogs look. One is video it. Okay. Video yeah. it and watch your dog's behavior on a good teeter and then on a eh, that was an okay teeter. Right. Watch how they lower their body. Do they stay stiff legged? Some dogs stay very upright. And they look very much like they're standing on the teeter, not crouching in a bow. Uh, so and it's okay if your dog stands as the doing the teeter. That yeah. is okay. There's not one way for your dog to do the teeter. No, I mean, ideal. The ideal is that they lower their body because when they're lowering their body, then they're act, their legs are acting as shock absorbers. Right. It doesn't jar them as much. Exactly. So a straight dog yeah. being in straight legged and, and walking or, or, moving upright on the teeter, they're more likely to be injured by not right. lowering the body. So you can teach them to, you know, lay down on the teeter. You can teach them to bow on the teeter. There's lots of different ways that you can help them learn. Most dogs, and I did teach Eli, I taught him how to lay down on the teeter. I taught him how to um, bow yeah. on, um, on extension to collection. So, cause I wanted that. Um, right. But most dogs do it naturally to some degree. Yeah. 
Dottie did it naturally. We have a really good yeah. video of Dot doing it naturally, actually. If you want to see what a dog looks like when they're at speed and they're slowing down, I think on your YouTube there's a video yeah, of her yeah. crouching. And, right. So um, some teeters I was pointing out on that video. All right. Oh. So, okay. So, um, so how do I teach extension into collection? I do it a number of different ways. Um, the first one is that I teach, I teach recall to heels, uh, not only collection recall to heels, but also extension recall to heels, backups recall to heels. So this is following Linda Mecklenburg's recall to heel um, handling system. Uh, and so and so my dogs across the arena or across the backyard and I'm like, pop, 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 and they run all the way in and Eli knows how to stop at my hand that I have presented to him from full extension smack into collection. So he's learned how to do that. And he's been doing that literally since I brought him home from the day that I brought him home, but you can start this at any time, start close, you know, six feet, 10 feet, build it all the way out to 45 feet, right? So dogs flying across the yard or however long your hallway is, right? You can do this in your hallway. You can do it literally anywhere. Then I teach them how to do that on a Cato board. So a low 12, mm -hmm. maybe 14 inches wide. I don't know how big it is, but it's, it's maybe slightly bigger wide width wise to a teeter and dog walk and maybe three feet long, I think it is. So a low board and teaching them one, you gotta just teach them about the board, but then teaching them how to come in with that same exact speed that we were doing on the flat. So on the flat, it was when there's zero obstacles. So just you and the dog, your flat work training. So teaching them how to come in on the flat and then how to come into that exact same location, but now you're next to a Cato board, right? Or you're uh, coming in to, I don't know, any, any, any plank, any, you could teach them to do that to your ottoman, right? That <laughs> yeah. So the the cable board, because it's only 14 inches, teaches them how to come in straight. A pause table and an ottoman don't teach them how to come in straight. They can come in jumping sideways, right? And turn around and look at you. So I teach that on the flat. Then um, I think another really great way to help them with the teeter specifically, but, um, and this is new to me, this is the new part of training that, that I did, that for Eli, I think it worked brilliantly. And then for every single one of my dogs um, in class, I think it worked for all but one. I only had one dog, but he was already a little bit worried about the teeter anyway. And um, when we asked him to do the, the grid prior, he said, no, I'm not doing that. Um, is grid training. So um, we were doing bounce grids. Um, so we did bounce grids last week onto a cable. Explain board. what that is. Um, it's 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 jump training. It's jump training. Uh, grid grids are there. Are lots of different grids out there. It is a specific spacing for your dog's jump height or jump their jump arc. Okay. So um, a grid is four to five to eight jumps in a row. Oh, and here's an important fact though, for your grid, when you're doing a, a bounce grid is the bar is low. So yeah, it, on a grid, 
the dog is jumping much, much, much lower than their neck. Okay. So um, he jumped 16. I think I had his grid at six inches. Yeah. Okay. Maybe eight. Yeah. And for my 20 inch dogs, I think I had it at 10. So <laughs> you can do them higher, but then you're working on a different skill. Right. You're working on jump skills then at yeah, that point. Yeah, you're jumping on upward lift and, you know, learning. Yeah, yeah. But, it, um, but, these, but learning, but the reason that I used it for the teeter um, is specifically to help keep them in that compressed stride at speed. Yeah, it's kind of like Cavaletti's. Yeah, so that they can kind of. It is very similar. It's very similar, but this is bouncing as opposed to trying. Yes. Okay. Different grids offer different types of training. So we were right, but what's the one you're using for the teeter? We use the bounce grid. Okay, Mm -hmm. so an extension grid would be multiple a stride or multiple strides between the jumps. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then you could work different heights. You could work different spacings. There's lots of different grids. Um, so the bounce grid is they're staying slightly in collection or compressed. So they're not extending fully out within each jump. And that is exactly what we want them to do on the teeter. Yeah. Okay. okay? And it so- just teaches them how to collect in motion. And how to pick up their feet and change um, their their striding very yeah. quickly. Okay, so here are a couple of other things for um, training on your own, new teeters in new locations. So again, we're only at full height. These are all full height dogs at this point. Um, and so we're, we're learning how to have the handler train all of this by themselves without me. So two other things that I want them to know. The first one is that when you get to whatever location you're at, take your leash off away from the teeter and then walk your dog under control with a cookie transport to the teeter. And as you're turning your dog towards the teeter, tell them sit. Don't (laughs) they'll, they'll look at the teeter board and they'll go right? Dogs that are not under control. So as you're turning towards, immediately tell them sit, don't wait for the turn, tell them sit on the turn, and then you're into your stay. The reason that I want, and then do all your repetitions, the reason that I want the leash taken off away from the teeter is because when you're finished with your teeter reps, you're in the mindset of we're done, let's get your leash on. And if your leash is close to the teeter, your dog's mind is still on the teeter. So you're in leash mode, the dog's still in teeter mode. And you're going for your leash and bam, your dog's up the teeter, taking it uncontrolled, taking it out of balance. You're probably annoyed that they took it without you because you told them to get on their leash and they didn't. So now I have I've had more dogs get freaked out about the teeter by working it all by themselves, by getting on it all by themselves. So and by taking your leash off away from the teeter, putting it back on away from the teeter. There's also a chance that if you're le- if you are leaving them for your leash, they're going up the teeter away from you. So their back is to you. They realize that you're not next to them. They turn around on the teeter, even the teeter 
sits in a uh, middle position and it does not go down to the ground on either side and then everybody freaks out. Yeah, no, they start rocking back and forth because you're yeah. exactly right. So what happens is the dog turns around uh, two thirds of the way up. So it's starting to drop, but now they, yeah. they're turning around, they drop it back. And at the exact same <laughs> moment, the handler is running over to them saying, no, no, no. So they turn around again and they go back <laughs> It is a so they and yeah it's it's bad and then sometimes they fall off yeah, as well yeah, at they that fall point. they freak themselves out because they're in a bad location for the drop it yes so many bad teeter problems happen when the dog takes it uncontrolled um, without the owner being part of the 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 equation. All right. The other thing that hand, new handlers do, even seasoned handlers do this. So one of the there should be a study on why handlers do this because I so many of my handlers do this even when I have instructed them not to and they just naturally do this I don't know what the deal is so they will release their dog off the teeter normally but only go maybe three feet and they'll want to do the rep again and they'll do a front cross back towards the teeter so they go out away from the teeter, they turn towards their dog, towards the teeter, that's a front cross, and the dog turns with them right back into a moving teeter. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? So they're releasing their dogs, immediately turning around while the board is still moving and the board's hitting the dog in the nose. So don't, so if you're, when you release, this is what I want my handlers to do. When you release your dog, release them onto another obstacle, jump, yeah. tunnel, whatever. If there's no other obstacle there, pretend there's an obstacle there, <laughs> right? So release them out 20 feet, then do your next rep. Or if you do want your dog to watch the deeter because you're curious how they're responding to the movement and the noise, so I've done that with Eli. I want him to see that it's moving. and I want to see his reaction to it. I release him out in a uh, eight to 10 foot radius, turn and look at the teeter on. So if I'm on the left side of the teeter, I go counterclockwise. If I'm on the right side of the teeter, I go clockwise and control my dog to watch the teeter from a distance. Do not turn your dog around right at the teeter. Control if the dog is getting off the teeter, you want them away. So I have like a three to five foot buffer that I never want my dog to turn around in when they're new, when they're young, when they're impressionable, when they're already worried about the teeter, protect their confidence. Cool. I want to protect the dogs as much as possible. So, um, yeah. And what we're doing is we're teaching them speed onto teeters, we're introducing them to new teeters in new locations. And I want my handlers to be able to do that safely without me. I want them to be able to do it in an FEO run at a trial. Um, you are allowed to touch equipment during an FEO trial. You are yeah. allowed to put your hand under the teeter at an FEO trial. That's right. You thought I put that in there. Yes, thank you very much. You are allowed to touch all the equipment when you are doing FEO or NFC at a trial that is correct feo is uh, for exhibition only so you will not be judged and you can take a toy into the room 
You can take a toy in the ring and same for NFC, which means not for competition. Yes. Same exact meaning, two different organizations or three different organizations. Cool. Right. I think we are done. I appreciate you working me through this. This is a long podcast, but um, if you have ever, if any of my students ever have any questions about what I'm talking about, and I've got a video to help support this, I will talk you through it in class, make sure that you're feeling comfortable with it. But my goal is to get all of my dogs doing multiple teeters in multiple locations without me in preparation for the trial environment. The teeter, in my opinion, is one of two obstacles of weaves being the other one that you cannot fake. You cannot fake a teeter. And if you try to fake a teeter, disaster. Correct. Well, not disaster. That's not the dog shows you that they, they're not comfortable with it. Yeah. And it can lead to a lot of problems down the road. It can lead road. to a ton of avoidance and lack of confidence and all that. All right. I, think I love you, Em. Thanks for I love you. Happy training. Woof, woof. Yeah. What's <laughs>